should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome to the show. It's Friday, so that means I'm out. And it's also hashtag FOF or FOF. Friends on Fridays. This Friday, we will broadcast John Zipper's week to week show. The program today is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipperer. I'm John Zipperer, the host of the Commonwealth Club's Week to Week Politics Program. You can find out more about Week to Week and all of the Commonwealth Club's many programs, including videos and audio, at CommonwealthClub.org. Now let's join this week's program. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this evening for our town hall meeting entitled Confronting ISIS. As uh, it was mentioned, this is an interactive town hall meeting. You'll go to the mics in order to pose questions. Uh, we, I'll ask you to keep those uh, comments short so that we can uh, get in as many as possible. We'll also go a little longer than our normal program tonight, since this is a topic of great interest and great concern. Uh, you know that you can find the Commonwealth Club online at commonwealthclub.org. Uh, you know that I'm Gloria Duffy, the president and CEO of the club. Let me introduce my fellow panelists. Uh, to my left is Sergei Petrov. He's the Consul General, General of Russia here in San Francisco. Uh, he's a longtime uh, diplomat who served in the Foreign Service of the Russian Federation, and we're very happy to have him here tonight. There are obviously very interesting questions regarding U.S.-Russian relations in dealing with ISIS in general in the situation with, in uh, Syria and Iraq. Uh, to my far right uh, is Joe Felter. Uh, Joe is a Ph.D. Uh, he's also a retired Special Forces Colonel. Uh, he's a senior research scholar at the Center for International Security and Cooperation at Stanford. Uh, and to my immediate right is Kim Zetter, who is an award-winning senior staff reporter at Wired, Wired Magazine covering cybercrime, privacy, and security. <clears throat> and as we talk about approaches to dealing with ISIS, we're obviously living in a a world of modern technology where the terrorist groups are adopting social media, the internet, and other ways of recruiting adherents, communicating among themselves. So we wanted Kim to be with us to talk about that aspect of the issue. Uh, I'll introduce Abbas Milani now. He's a director of Iranian studies at Stanford University. 
and co-director of the Iran Democracy Project at Stanford. We're going to have a bit of a discussion among ourselves, and then we'll introduce the, the questions from the audience uh, shortly. So <clears throat> let me start with a question for the panelists, and anyone can uh, dive in, uh, or you can wait for the next question up if it's more suited to you. What do you believe is the threat from ISIS today? to the United States, and to the world community? I think it's the most serious threat I have seen coming out of the Middle East. Uh, I think uh, they are going to challenge the very structure of the international community. They are keen on redividing the map in the Middle East, are creating new uh, frontiers, although they don't believe in frontiers. Uh, and I think their ability to mobilize uh, is remarkable, uh, and with that ability, they threaten to disrupt uh, the fabric of democracy in Europe. Uh, there's never been as many Muslims in Europe as there are now, and the events of today that might be connected somehow to this show that uh, they even have a reach across the, the oceans. And how that will pay out, to me, is really a remarkably daunting challenge. Mr. Constantine. Yes, I, <clears throat> I agree with uh, uh, doctor, and uh, I'm not a doctor here among the doctors, many doctors. <clears throat> I'm more like a practitioner, but I will speak more like a human being. And uh, what's frightening for me with ISIS is uh, uh, that they're killing people so easy so easily. And they are uh, putting the, the value of human life lower and lower. And uh, uh, that's very frightening for me. And another thing that, uh, that is dangerous, in addition to what uh, uh, Dr. Abbas said, Dr. Milani said, that uh, I think, uh, and he will correct me if I'm wrong, is that they are, um, Disrupt, uh, disrupting the uh, the right version of Islam. So Islam is not a is not a uh, religion that promotes uh, hatred or death, like any other religion in the world. But these people who are raising flags of Islam are doing exactly that, and they are uh, they are changing the, the, the way we see Islam. Uh, that is also very, very dangerous. Well, I don't have the uh, academic expertise that the other guests have. I don't have an expertise in counterterrorism. Um, but I, I would think that from the obvious perspective of what we've seen so far in Paris and in other attacks that have occurred is the, the biggest um, difficulty that we have in addressing the threat from ISIS is its lack of centrality or a central uh, organizing structure. It's like Al-Qaeda in that regard, um, but even more, I think, decentralized because you have a lot of cells that are operating uh, completely independent of any kind of organizing structure, and that's really difficult to combat. Um, because if you're trying to monitor communications and trying to focus on who are the right um, actors that are going to be uh, that, that are that 
present the most imminent threat, it's very difficult uh, because your surveillance has to be um, very uh, scattered in that regard. And I think that that's one of the most uh, trying um, uh, obstacles that we have. Just reinforcing what's been, been addressed so far. Uh, this is a very disturbing and very serious threat, I think. Uh, that ISIS actually has demonstrated what I would call an asymmetric strategic bombing capacity, where they can centrally plan operations and have decentralized execution. And that's a really, really difficult to defend against. You know, certainly Paris and, and the downing of the Russian airliner, many other attacks are just examples of, of just how lethal and potent ISIS can be and how difficult it is for their targets to defend against it. Um, that said, I think there is some room for some limited optimism when we think of the threat of ISIS as a state, as a, an actual organization trying to hold territory. Um, they're, they're really not doing so well. They, they, they've lost 25% you know, of, of their territory from their high point. Um, they don't have any friends. They've got a lot of enemies in the neighborhood. You think about the, the Kurds, the government of Iraq, Assad regime. Um, coalition forces, Iran, they, they're in a tough neighborhood without a lot of friends. Um, and they really have demonstrated that they don't have the capacity to govern. They're, they're, they're a bunch of uh, self-selected fighters that come to Iraq and Syria to fight. And now when they try to govern, they're having challenges. You, know, you need expertise, you need engineers, you need administrators, and, and that's very challenging. So I think ISIS as a state, I, I think we're gonna see its demise at some point uh, with certainly some more violence along the way. But going on your point, I think, Kim, that ISIS as an idea, as a brand, as a decentralized organization, as, as, a, as a hostile ideology, if you will, that's inspiring self-directed attacks in the West, in the US, and, and around the world, uh, that's a serious threat. And that's something that's gonna be very difficult to, to, to defend against. It certainly doesn't lend itself to any military solutions. It's gonna have to come from within Islam. I think that's what Sergei's saying. This is, a, this is a challenge from within Islam that's gonna be the only place that you can address that nature of the threat. Let's talk about that for a second. So what are, and I'm going to ask Dr. Milani to address this, what are the tenets of belief um, within Islam of ISIS? And uh, we've heard, you know, certainly anti-women, we've heard, uh, you know, jihadist, et cetera. But, but how would you characterize the belief system? Well, they're very good at articulating the belief systems. They're one of the most sophisticated in terms of putting out their ideology. They publish a magazine in several languages. They have now added Russian to one of the languages where they are uh, proselytizing. And their ideology, ironically, uh, although now I hear the Saudi government is suing anybody who says uh, ISIS ideology is similar to uh, the ideology of the Wahhabis in Saudi Arabia, but I think you can understand ISIS unless you understand a form of Islam that says there is only two sources for an absolute unchanging truth. One is the literal interpretation of the Quran, not any other kind of interpretation. You can't read it as metaphor, literally. If Quran says slavery is permitted, slavery is permitted. If Quran says you can marry two, three, four wives, I'm almost verbatim quoting their ideology. Then you can marry two, three wives. And then secondly, something that Muslims call hadith. Hadith are stories uh, about the Prophet and a correct hadith, what they think is a correct hadith, is an absolute, unerring, exhaustive source of wisdom and salvation. Nothing else matters. 
and only form of Islam they accept is the form of Islam that was practiced during the Prophet's life. Every form of Islamic government post the Prophet is a form of heresy, uh, if not uh, apostasy. That's why they're called Salafists. They want to go to the ways of the past. And the only past they want to go to is the prophetic past of the life of the Muhammad, of the Prophet. So in that sense, their ideology is rather simple, simple-minded, uh, but extremely uh, unbending and in some ways uh, frightening. Where did this branch of Islam come from within Islam? In terms of uh, recent, history, in terms recent of uh, uh, ISIS, uh, the source I think has to be absolutely sought in Saudi Arabia because it's in Saudi Arabia that Wahhabism arises, and all of this, in a sense, is a response to the beginning of the defeat of Islam. Islam used to be a major contender on the world scene. Islam came all the way to Europe. Islam was a main challenge to Europe. Islam came all the way to the outside of Vienna in 16th century. When they realized they were no longer a contender, a group of them, and you have them in Saudi Arabia, they're called Wahhabis, you have them in Iran, you called, they're called something else, but they began to say, we need to go to the ways of the past. We don't want modernity. We don't want rationalism. We don't want democracy. We don't want the nation state. And all of these things, they say, are constructs of Western colonial crusaders. And uh, so you have some version of it in Egypt. You have some version of it in Iran uh, in the 16th, 17th century, where people begin to say, we only accept the Quran and only the Hadith. You have it in Saudi Arabia. You have some version of it in Egypt, in the Muslim Brotherhood. All of them have one thing in common. Nothing other than what is in the Quran, literally, and what is a good hadith matters. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. So, there's some sense, I think, that taking away the, the odious dictatorial role of Saddam Hussein somehow spawned this disorganization in Iraq and Syria that allowed this brand of Islam to rise up the chaos in Iran and in Iraq and Syria allowed this to gain more ground is there any truth to this do you feel that this is part of the reason that uh, it has gained a foothold in an actual geographical area as is the case in Iraq 
or, you know, what was the origins of ISIS, which was Al-Qaeda in Iraq, was virtually defeated by the United States when they killed Gaddafi. Then they moved to Syria. They moved very well in chaos. And in Syria, they found several things they liked. They found uh, U.S. Mili uh, uh, Iraqi military personnel that had been, in my view, foolishly uh, disbanded by the Americans. They found uh, Saddam intelligence agencies who had been trained by the KGB, who had been trained by the Stasi, and brought all the ferociousness of the worst form of despotism. They combined that with mafia techniques they had learned. Uh, many of these people were thugs, including Ghazavi. Uh, so you combine mafia with uh, Stasi with some dose of salvation you, and internet, that's a potent mix. <laughs> and oil. <laughs> and lots of money from oil companies, uh, oil, oil rich uh, families at least. So. In this recent round of ISIS terrorism, the downing of the Russian airliner was probably the first major strike. How long had Russia been tracking and aware of ISIS? Was this, this uh, event a complete surprise? Uh, was Russia in some ways unprepared for this? Tell us about how the Russian government has Paid, paid attention or not paid attention to ISIS and the reaction to this airliner incident? Uh, unfortunately, we, we are always not prepared to something like that happening. But um, if we speak about specifically about ISIS, I would say that uh, my government was uh, tracking it for quite a long time. And uh, uh, ISIS was included uh, um, uh, as one of in, in the list of the terrorist organizations, uh, uh, it didn't happen, as far as I know, here or in in Europe. But in the, in Russia, it happened that uh, ISIS is a um, uh, to be to be affiliated with ISIS. It's a crime, and we recently had a, a, a situation was um, a situation when a group of young people were detained in the. Uh, the city of uh, Stavropol, uh, because they uh, came, they had some education and training abroad, and they came there and they studied in a medical school, and their mission was to hire uh, possible fighters for ISIS. And they were detained and they were arrested, and uh, they would go through a judicial procedure and uh, uh, put into prison for that. Uh, yes, we were tracking uh, ISIS and uh, other um, uh, radical uh, Islamic uh, groups, um, terrorist groups in Russia for quite a long time. And unfortunately, we had our experience, uh, a sad experience with uh, uh, terrorists uh, from Chechnya. They were many, and they were not uh, just uh, locally grown. They they acted like uh, ISIS acts now, with the help, uh, with the outside help, uh, be it financial resources or uh, weapons or uh, some expertise. And uh, we had our moments. We have many uh, victims uh, in, 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 in Moscow, in the other cities of, of Russia. But we hadn't had uh, any direct uh, 
uh, contact with um, ISIS until it happened with the uh, airline. And uh, even when it happened, I think we, we wanted very much, my government wanted very much for, for it not to be a terrorist act. Uh, that's why we were not ready to announce it to be a terrorist act right away from the very first day. So a, 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 a detailed uh, um, uh, procedure was uh, uh, executed to find out what happened. And after we happened that it was a, a, an explosive device. And uh, when it was announced um, uh, who, who, who prepared this explosive device, so. So it was the outcome was the decision that it, it happened um, with the help of ISIS. Uh, I think that uh, we'll have more threats coming our way. Uh, and what Dr. Milani said that ISIS is now uh, introduced Russian as one of the languages they uh, disseminated their propaganda. Uh, but uh, I think it would not stop uh, stop us from uh, trying to uh, to stop this uh, uh, evil, and uh, we are ready to go all the way, uh, fighting uh, ISIS either uh, ourselves or with uh, the help of uh, other governments, and. Uh, Actually, what, what we are trying to do uh, for quite a long time, my government, is to build an international coalition that would, uh, that would uh, take, uh, not just militarily, try to destroy ISIS militarily, but to, to, to uh, formulate and to execute a, a complex approach that would include um, uh, eliminating sources of financial support for ISIS, uh, destroy their headquarters, destroy the oil refineries and illegal oil refineries, refineries they had, and many, many other uh, ways we can uh, weaken them. Uh, but definitely it would be more effective, more, much more effective if, if we have a combined effort in this field. Uh, that's definitely not the end. The Paris, uh, I, I, I would, I would, I would be happy if if Paris tragedy was uh, was the last uh, terrorist act we see, uh, but uh, definitely it's not the last one, and we could face even more uh, dangerous things like we discussed. This, uh, uh, they could use uh, chemical weapons, uh, nuclear weapons, dirty bombs. Uh, uh, cyber cyber th cyber uh, equipment uh, to bring even more uh, destruction uh, for us. So the only way for us is to be together to do something about that. Just to dwell on Russia for a moment, why would they pick Russia? Is it to appeal potentially to Islamic minorities in Russia, to agitate them in some way? It seems a little unusual. Usually, the U.S. and Western European countries are more the target for our decadent, you know, uh, you know, qualities. And Russia seems uh, unique as a choice. Why Russia? Uh, I'm smiling because I, I I just had a couple of days ago same question from 
from my colleague from Germany who, who was asking me, why they did it to your uh, plane? We all know that in Syria, you are uh, bombing um, opponents of Assad. You're not bombing ISIS. That was all media says. That's what media say. Uh, why, why, why are they? Why have they chosen your uh, plane to to down? And that exactly shows that uh, uh, our uh, military operation in Syria uh, is effective. That that shows that we are starting to uh, hit the nerve and the the the, the bulk of uh, ISIS. And they, that's why they started to target Russia as a retaliation. Uh, and uh, that's a completely uh, wrong um, understanding that um, we are not doing anything against ISIS in Syria now. But that's what, what would you read in many, many uh, reports about what's happening in Syria. Most of the uh, hits by the uh, Russian aviation is uh, targets uh, either ISIS or uh, groups affiliated with ISIS. It's uh, Jahab and Nusra, I think, or other 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 groups that are same kind of terrorists with weapons uh, trying to kill uh, people. Let me switch to um, Joe for a second. Uh, what do you feel that the type of bombing campaigns that are going on now have a real potential to stop ISIS? So we're bombing some of the oil convoys and we're bombing leadership targets, supposedly. What can you tell us about the air war that's going on and will it be sufficient? Well, it certainly isn't uh, an end in itself. It's, it's part of a comprehensive, needs to be part of a comprehensive strategy, both military and governance-oriented. Uh, um, certainly, if ISIS masses in, 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 in the open and it lends itself to being targeted, absolutely, we need to have a responsive uh, bombing capability to address that. But the real challenge here is it's a targeting issue. With ISIS, they're occupying urban areas. They're, they're with civilians, the civilian population. And they know that if we bomb them in these urban areas and have a lot of Muslim um, civilian casualties, that plays right into their narrative. So bombing can be very counterproductive to our interests and play right into the hand of the uh, of ISIS interests if, if we end up killing Muslim civilians. And that, of course, that goes viral on the internet and, 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 and all their propaganda methods. But so bombing is important. Uh, it's, it's, it is a, is a capacity we need to maintain. If, if, if they lend themselves to being targeted, they need to be targeted. Uh, we need to, to, to turn on the heat and, and make it very difficult for them to operate, for them to to do any kind of command and control or resupply of that nature. Um, but we can't lose sight. I mean, I've spent some time in the military, and you know, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. There's a lot more to this, this challenge. Um, it's, you can't bomb your way to representative governance in Baghdad, and that, that was a real challenge in Iraq. When the Sunni population of Iraq was like, well, we don't really like ISIS, um, but what is our own government going to provide us? So I think bombing certainly has its limitations. Um, but it is, a, it is a key component to, to a, a comprehensive strategy. We just can't kid ourselves that it's going to be the, the only instrument that's going to get us where we need to be. One of the front burner questions right now is whether we should back off on trying to undercut President Bashar al-Assad and essentially accept that situation in Syria as a way of uh, 
combating ISIS. Do you have a view on that? Well, I, I know our president, our government has made it clear that, uh, you know, Assad is, is not an acceptable ruler. Um, but that said, I would, you know, there's other, maybe more immediate threats that we, we, we might want to address first and, and maybe put that one aside. And certainly the elephant in the living room, in the room here is going to be uh, that very issue with, with Sergei. I know his, his country has very different interests here. Um, so yes, I think uh, focusing on ISIS may be uh, more pragmatic, but it's certainly the end state that we've stated and that we were not going to be satisfied without is, is, is a future of Syria is not going to include Assad. So let's talk about technology and the internet for a second. There have been various mentions of ISIS using the internet very well. What, what's your impression of how sophisticated ISIS is in terms of using social media, using the internet? What what's their reach? Digi what's their digital reach? I don't I don't think that um, they're any more sophisticated than any PR team. Uh, you know they they understand the value of social media in outreach, uh, geographical outreach. They understand the value, obviously, of pictures, uh, with the beheadings, obviously, and um, the threat videos that they've created, where production values are are pretty good on that. Um, they're not geniuses. I mean, there's there's nothing special that they're doing that other groups don't do. Um, we, I mean, they're doing things that we haven't seen other terrorist groups necessarily doing. So ISIS represents sort of this new generation that's grown up with technology and has used it, you know, individually for their own purposes in the way that teens and 20-somethings use technology, and they're simply adapting that for their needs here. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things, the impulse seems to be to um, try and take down that kind of um, uh, digital activity, to take down websites, to take down social media accounts, things like that. But that's actually one of the ways we track them. I mean, there's a double-edged sword there. They're using it for recruitment and things like that, but that's also uh, a focus that surveillance can have to monitor uh, conversations that are going on on forums to actually infiltrate those forums. We see it with this uh, cybercrime forums as well. I mean, those are crawling with undercover feds, um, and that's what they're, you know, they're infiltrating them. Um, and so on the one hand, you need those forums uh, as sort of a centralized point to actually understand in some regards what they're up to. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time. So you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. 
I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? That's just always been my attitude, um, just to entertain people. And so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. So, the hacker group Anonymous has announced that it's declared war on ISIS. And they're supposedly taking down websites and Twitter accounts and so on. Uh, A, can they do, is that possible? And B, you seem to be saying maybe that's not desirable. Well, I think the, it's problematic when Anonymous is doing it because uh, what kind of vetting are they doing? I mean, how are they determining that an account is um, uh, 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 an account that poses a threat in some regards? And, and you know, there have been reports that they've actually taken down sites that are operated by academics who are doing research in the field, and they're probably taking down undercover sites that the, the military is operating in, that intelligence agencies are operating as well. So I think that their involvement sort of messes things up a little because they don't really understand um, the, uh, the environment in which they're operating. Um, and really taking down websites and taking down Twitter accounts doesn't accomplish much. Uh, it's whack-a-mole. You take down one and another pops up. So. I Mr. Petrov? Uh, I would like to add uh, what Joyce said uh, to what Joyce said. Um, I think that um, if, we, if we now uh, try to do something, want to, want to try to do something serious to reach some ten tangible results in, in fighting ISIS in uh, uh, Syria and Iraq, um, uh, we definitely uh, can't do it with just using Air Force. That's, that would not be impossible. And just a couple of days ago, there was an article in San Francisco Chronicle about these underground uh, uh, holes that they prepared even before all this started. So they will go down there and they will spend some there. No, no, you wouldn't find them with bombs or uh, cruise missiles. So we definitely need somebody to be on the ground. So. Who could that be? Um, the United States, I don't know. It seems like the United States is not ready to send uh, uh, troops there. Russia is definitely not ready. We, we still, um, uh, still remember uh, Afghanistan, uh, Soviet Union. And uh, I have, a, I have a, uh, uh, exchange with one of my friends who, uh, when he is a piece of news like a, a group of Russian special forces went to Syria. He said, "Aha, that's your your troops are there." But I, uh, um, we we had a bet with him uh, that uh, I I I I am sure one hundred percent that Russia would not send troops there, ground troops that would 
uh, fight ISIS. So who could that be? Um, our view is we only can use uh, local uh, people to fight ISIS. They would be able to do that. And local people, who, who, who would that be? That would be uh, countries of this region. And that brings us to Iraq, to Syria, to Iran probably. It's for them to, to be engaged in uh, some kind of ground operation. Uh, but but, but uh, uh, if we speak about Syria, we uh, have to find the solution to this, um, uh, in my understanding, very inflexible position not to accept uh, the government that exists now in uh, Syria. Okay, it's legitimate government that, uh, uh, that, uh, that is recognized by uh, all countries, by the United Nations. Why wouldn't we cooperate with that? We don't like something about the leader of this country, but it's up to the Syrian people to decide that. And we have very effective political process going on, by the way, with the uh, help of uh, very effective help uh, um, of combined efforts by uh, the United States and uh, Russia, uh, Vienna process, and I hope we'll 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 find a way to uh, support the political process there and to allow uh, people of Syria to decide in future of their own fate. Uh, but if we speak now, I completely agree with Joe that we have an immediate threat of ISIS and we need somebody uh, on the ground and this somebody or part of this somebody is definitely the uh, armed forces of Syria, the present armed forces of Syria. And that's that, 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 that we should use, uh, otherwise we would not be able. We stop our bombing and we'll have all these uh, terrorists back again. It's not that simple, unfortunately. The armed forces of Syria have killed almost 300,000 Syrians. The armed forces of Syria have virtually destroyed, helped destroy the country. They have helped displace some 10 million people. Uh, Assad was never, in my view, uh, a legitimate ruler. He was elected in an obviously rigged election. People have voted with their feet. Uh, people who have left the country. The notion that Assad uh, enjoys some legitimacy, I think, is a figment of imagination. He might be useful, but he's not useful because he's legitimate. He's useful because he has a military. But the problem with using the military of Assad is that Assad's military has now been su uh, supported by Iranian uh, IRGC. Mr. Soleimani is there. Uh, Hezbollah is there. And if, if, if Sunnis in Syria are as afraid of Hezbollah, are as afraid of uh, the Quds Brigade as they are of uh, uh, Assad. And one point about uh, Chechnya and why they chose Russia, there are no countries that have contributed more to ISIS in terms of number of people than Chechens. There are 
2,000 Chechens fighting there. And they're fighting there because the Russian government went after the Chechens. You, want, you call them terrorists, they call themselves independent uh, nationalist fighters. One person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. But the Russian government went with remarkable power to put down uh, Chechens. And the Chechens, this is a pattern. These people get beaten in one place, they pick up and go and fight somewhere else, and then they'll come back and haunt Russia. Uh, these 2,000 people, if ISIS is beaten, if ISIS is driven out of Syria, where are they going to go to? Where are these Chechens going to go to? They will create havoc, unfortunately. Uh, but they were, I must say, they were all also creating <coughs> havoc in Russia. Yeah, yes, well, but um, I, I, uh, yes. Uh, if, if, if I may comment on that, uh, uh, we, we, we keep hearing about um, uh, moderate opposition to Assad. Uh, and, uh, but uh, just the recent example, uh, on, you, you probably know, November 24, the, uh, the um, a bomber, a Russian bomber, was shot down by the Turkish uh, uh, fighter. Um, and um, when uh, the pilot went down on a parachute, this moderate opposition uh, shot the, the pilot uh, in the air. Uh, when they got his, his body, they said that they would exchange this body for some fighters from the prisons. So I don't think uh, that these people could be called moderate opposition. Those people who take weapons in their hands and fight legitimate government, even if this government is not right at this moment, they are, have no right to, to do that. Uh, if you, you mentioned that there are 300,000 uh, uh, casualties uh, in Syrian civil war, that's right. But if you look at the comp composition of these uh, casualties, you will see that half of them is members of the uh, military and security forces of Syria. Okay, if uh, anybody here in this country or in Russia takes weapons in his arms and start killing soldiers, what, what government will do? So I'm going to we're, we'll get back to this, but we have a long line of yes. folks who'd like to <clears throat> ask questions. So and if you want to direct it to any particular person, please do so. Well, with the uh, competing allies of U.S., NATO, and the Russian Federation, um, how, do, how can we find a way of working together without coming into direct military conflict like Turkey and escalation? Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> I would say that this unfortunate incident with uh, Turkey was um, uh, something very unexpected. And if we speak about, for example, uh, of Russia and the United States, there is an agreement in place, uh, um, agreement for, for, for some time, operational agreement, that allows uh, uh, Russian Air Force and U.S. Air Force to to uh, to act in 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 harmony in in Syria, not to threaten each other, and 
after it in tragic accident happened with Turkey, there was an incident of a Russian airliner entering, uh, uh, not airliner, but a fighter or bomber entering aircraft, entering Israeli um, uh, space, but nothing, nothing uh, dangerous happened. It was just a mistake. There was an exchange of information, and everything, everything was okay. Uh, so uh, I think that we have every possibility to act uh, together, uh, be it uh, operation in, in military operation or even more in exchange of intelligence, uh, which is, I think, even more important now because if when we are told, I mean, Russia is told that uh, we are not bombing the right targets in, in Syria, okay, give us the, star the targets that you think we should bomb, the, the targets where ISIS is. We are asking for this information from our uh, NATO and U.S. partners for quite a long time. We, hasn't received, we, ha we haven't received it yet. Yes, ma'am. Uh, this is a question, and it's dedicated to the uh, entire group. Um, considering the misogyny of the Islamic State, as well as Al-Qaeda and Taliban, etc., do you think a strategy to bring ISIS to its knees could be threaten to educate all Muslim females, elementary, secondary, college, and graduate school, and back that up? with a monetary fund. Thank you. Okay, good idea. Let's try Dr. Milani, but also everyone, uh, anyone who has an, a view. Yesterday, a remarkable lady from Morocco died. Her name is Fatima Mernisi. She spent a lifetime trying to do exactly that, educate Muslim women, bring them into the education system. Her belief was that the way to liberate uh, Islamic societies is to bring women into the fold. I absolutely believe that if there is to be a salvation for Islamic societies, women have to take the leadership. The only country where they have done that, and we see signs of it, is Iran. Iran, in Iran, Iranian women, in spite of the misogyny of the regime, are now at the forefront of the democratic struggle. And if there is to be democratic salvation for the Muslims, the issue of women has to be solved. And it can't be solved with an ideology like ISIS, or with an ideology like Saudi Arabia, or with an ideology like the Iranian regime that says the life of a woman is worth half the life of a man. But women are on the march. The good news is. Other comments? So absolutely, that's a laudable goal, and it should be part of a long-term plan. Um, but clearly, the, the, the much Closer in target, if you will, it's going to be hard to address that. So I think that that, that is a great initiative for, on so many levels, um, but we can't expect that to solve some of the the problems we have right right now. And and I think undermining support for ISIS, you, you could do that by ensuring that those on the margins appreciate that you know their vision for for women's education and, and, and empowerment is is pretty bleak. Um, so that could that could help in the near term as far as limiting recruitment, uh, but, but those types of activities, we, we still need to solve some problems right now, which is the immediate crisis and these, these attacks that could happen you know, today um, based on the ISIS threat. 
I'm all for women. I'm all for raising <laughs> the role of women in every society, including the U.S. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, I, I I would like to add what Jer uh, said that. Um, Yes, uh, bringing women, I agree absolutely, and solving this issue of women in Islam. But, uh, but um, there are all other challenges that we, we should deal with. It's, it's education, it's health care, uh, it's many, many other things that uh, we should do to this exactly region in the world uh, for it to stop to be conducive to produce terrorists. Uh, and but it's definitely a long-term goal. But again, it's not something that uh, uh, rich countries, the United States, could do, uh, because it would be expensive even for the United States. But it would it should be a joint efforts of all the countries uh, that uh, are interested in stopping this evil for for good. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. What would happen with ISIS if Assad was no longer there in Syria? Better or worse than we well, see it now? It depends on how Assad is not there. If Assad is not there as a as a result of a negotiated transition to a more inclusive, not to a Sunni extremist, not to a Shiite extremist, not to a Christian extremist, an ecumenical, democratic, inclusive society, then I think ISIS has a chance of being defeated. If you replace one form of despotism with another, then a phenomenon, murderous phenomenon like uh, ISIS flourish. Is there a way to establish more direct contact or have a more direct role in Egypt, I mean, in uh, Syria and Iraq that might be productive, say, through technology? Is there any way to, for people to make contact with uh, other elements of the societies in those countries along the same lines of establishing direct contact that might be positive? I, I suppose that you can uh, do things like what the Voice of America tried to do um, during the early wars, uh, but something that wouldn't be propaganda from the U.S. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier about the distortion of, of Islam, and I think that the Muslim community um, has a role to play here um, in countering. Um, you know, they are uh, multitude strong. And they could take on this role of uh, sort of the counter-propaganda um, and really police what's happening in their communities a lot better to counter that. Um, and technology would be one, one way to do that. 
certainly. Do we see media. any signs of that yet? Uh, what What is the attitude and what are the steps taken by more moderate Islam in relation to ISIS? I think that may be a question. Dr. Milani? Yes. You know, uh, ISIS, according to a poll, has only the support of 0.2% of Muslims. 99.8% of Muslims are, have said that they don't like ISIS. ISIS doesn't win by election. ISIS wins by terror. That 0.2% is what they're going after. And they're precisely offering them uh, employment. They pay between $400 to $600 for soldiers, up to $2,000 for their commanders. They provide them with sex, not rock and roll, sex. <laughs> I, I really mean that. Uh, uh, internet and uh, you, you can take whatever you want in a war. You can take whatever woman you want. You can enslave the woman. You can sell it if you, you like. And if in the process you die, you go to heaven and become a, a martyr. And we are giving you the dignity you have been deprived. They literally say this. They say, we are, are going to create a society where a Muslim fighter can be proud to be a Muslim fighter. That's a very dangerous proposition. And when you have in Europe, xenophobia, when you have uh, Ms. Le Pen and Mr. Trump here suggesting at the slightest uh, unhappiness that Muslims should be all registered, that is precisely what plays into the hands of ISIS. ISIS has a theory, folks. It says we need to eliminate the gray zone. We need to eliminate the illusion that Muslims can live peacefully in the in the West. And how do you do that? You create mayhem. Uh, the other side begins to create anti-Islamic uh, propaganda, anti-Islamic policies. They begin to put people in prison. They begin to take people off uh, Southwest uh, flights simply because they spoke Arabic. That creates the kind of vicious circle where they thrive. How does that decision to get rid of Saddam Hussein look in retrospect? I would say compounded with, you know, what, um, you know, Maliki did when when we left, and the fact that Baghdad, if you're a Sunni Iraq, if you're a Sunni in Iraq post when, you know, when Maliki was in, was in charge, and after the U.S. troops left, you didn't look to your government as as really, as as offering the kind of future you wanted for you and your family. It really wasn't out for your interest. So I think, certainly taking Saddam out created that vacuum. Uh, we we filled the vacuum with. This Shia-dominated government. If we could have had some, we. I mean, if somehow the end result could have been a more representative governance that 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 did not disenfranchise the Sunnis, I think that would have been been key. But the truth is, if a Sunni Iraqi looks to Baghdad as Shia-dominated, Iranian-dominated, and no future for 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 the Sunnis, they may not like ISIS, but they may be they may hate them ever slightly less than than their own government. I think that's a real challenge. Uh, in, in counterinsurgency, there's a saying that we have that you know counterinsurgency can only be as good as the government it supports. And ultimately, this isn't a security issue. This was that power vacuum that was created when we took when Saddam was taken from power. But but it's what replaced it, which which was not representative and disenfranchised the Sunnis and gave them a lot of propaganda to to, to recruit and it, or at a minimum allowed the Sunni communities to tolerate ISIS if if not support it. So I'm if I may, I want to get we're, we have about ten more minutes. So let's get a few more questions and then we'll have some final comments. So. Yes, ma'am. 
Well, this is a similar question in a way. I, it's about the possibility of a political dimension as contrasted with a military dimension to confronting ISIS. Um, the most creative solution that I have read was in the New York Times where an op-ed columnist suggested redrawing borders to some degree and actually creating a Sunni state, um, which would draw Sunni support that may not be really aligned with ISIS, but like Joe just said, you know, ISIS looks better than the Shia governments that they that have been imposed on many people. Is that naive? Is that realistic? What What do you? Very think? good question. What about the creation of a Sunni state? Well, there is already a Sunni state. It's called ISIS. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They have carved out. They really have carved out of uh, Iraq and Syria, the Sunni parts, and they're ruling it. Uh, but whether the current maps of the Middle East will survive this chaos, uh, I think is a very good question. I think my guess is that the current borders are not going to survive. You're going to see new configurations. And uh, the question of whether ISIS is political or religious, you have to read their own literature to decide whether they're political and religious. They say our religion is our politics, our politics is our religion, they're not separated from one another. You can say that in your understanding of Islam, they should be separated. Many people would agree with you, but that's not what ISIS says. ISIS says our politics is our uh, religion, our religion is our politics, and it is a crusade. You're absolutely right, they do accept it. If you're looking at the origins of ISIS, you shouldn't look at the fall of Saddam. Every major player in ISIS came out of Afghanistan. When the United States decided to support anyone who would fight the Soviets so long as they fought the Soviets, they brought in bin Laden, they brought in Gardavi, they poured in billions of taxpayers' money to train these people. And when they defeated the Soviet Union, they decided to go after the United States. So if there is a point to begin, it isn't the fall of Saddam. It is uh, uh, Afghanistan. And the notion that anyone who fights my enemy, I'm willing to support. When Ronald Reagan called the Mujahideen, the, like our founding fathers, that is either a failure to understand who these people were or uh, playing loose uh, with facts of uh, language. Mr. Yeah. Petrov. Yeah, unfortunately, I agree. We, we, uh, unfortunately? We, uh, <laughs> no, no, I say unfortunately, unfortunately, what, what you say, but I agree with what you say that uh, we keep uh, uh, we have a saying in Russian, uh, we keep repeating the mistakes, we, uh, uh, same mistakes all the time. What is one thing that you would like to see done by the US or any other entity or group that would help to undercut the current threat from ISIS? One thing, top priority. So I have an international relations background at Stanford, and one thing we learned is that you, in international relations theory, you worry about strong states, and that's who the U.S. should worry about, other strong states in the system. But I think we've kind of turned international relations theory on its head, and it's actually, still need to worry about strong states, but it's now it's the weak states that can really threaten us. And I think we, we can't separate 
you know, the military security solutions with the ultimate end state is, is, is it's about governance. So it, ISIS, you need to provide, in this case, the Sunnis in Iraq and Syria, a better alternative to, to supporting or at least tolerating ISIS. So let's not focus on the security solution to, to the point we, we lose sight of the fact that the, the, the military options and security solutions are only to empower a better strategy for uh, more representative governance that will give people a better option than, than ISIS. Kim? I think I would go back to what I had said earlier about um, uh, encouraging the larger Muslim community um, to develop some kind of counter um, to what's happening there. I think that they have a lot of power. Um, I think that part of the problem of them not organizing is because they feel attacked uh, from the outside um, and don't feel don't feel empowered to basically take this into their own hands. Obviously, they can't fight ISIS, but they can uh, counteract it in their own communities. Thank you. Mr. Petrov. <clears throat> yes, I would like to see, as soon as possible, a decision by the UN Security Council for uh, the countries of the world to be together to fight terrorism. and. Uh, uh, not just militarily, like Joe said, but to have a comprehensive strategy of how we deal with this evil together and what we'll do for it not to be reborn. And uh, one important thing of that uh, would definitely, uh, definitely should be that uh, uh, we should think about people who are in the ground. Uh, who are in the planes, who are in the military, and even those who are uh, with ISIS now, because many of them are just uh, uh, many young people disillusioned. Many of them, by the way, we our calculation it could be two, three thousand people who went from Russia there, uh, and many of them did they by mistake, and uh, that would be a tragic mistake of their life. So we should ensure that they are back to normal life and they would not repeat this again. And final word to Dr. Milani. Well, my hope is that uh, somebody somewhere uh, decides to actually begin to think about this thing seriously. Because I don't think people have been thinking about this seriously. This needs a strategy that is as complicated, as nuanced, as multifaceted as the reality that begot it. ISIS is a result of multiple crises. Crisis of identity, crisis of legitimacy, crisis of economics, crisis of people's movement, crisis of theology. And unless people and, and governments begin to develop a strategy that re includes uh, mobilizing uh, moderates, includes educating uh, the Westerners includes educating um, American students about the basic facts of life about Islam, uh, then I think we are in for a very long hot summer. I'd like to thank our panelists, uh, Dr. Milani, Kim Zetter, Joe Felter, and Sergei Petrov. I'd like to thank our audience here in the room who have posed some very interesting questions. Those who sent in their ideas for non-boots-on-the-grounds approach to dealing with ISIS, our radio audience, our internet audience. And uh, this, is the, uh, this is an incredibly important topic that we all need to be thinking about and think about what our 
individual roles are in trying to solve this problem. Thank you for coming here tonight to exchange views. And this is the end of our town hall for the evening. This meeting's adjourned. Thank you all very much. Thanks so much for tuning in today. For more on us and other programs or podcasts you might have missed, you can head to michellemeow.com. See you all next week. Tune into the Michelle Meow Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.